0: This is The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. David is the Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel, Casa Grande, in Casa Grande, Arizona.
1: We still have a journey to walk. And I don't know about you, but none of us, really and truly, none of us have any idea how long that journey is. You might think, yeah, well, I'm old, I know my journey isn't long. But you know what? Some that are young, their journey isn't long either. That's the unfortunate reality of the frailty of this flesh. None of us know how long the journey is. That's why we're called to live our lives with joy inexpressible, knowing and understanding the greatness of the reward that's awaiting for us.
0: In today's message, we'll be reminded that life is only a vapor. We're here today and gone tomorrow. Understand that no one is promised their next breath. All we have is right now. As believers in the God of the Bible, We're to live our lives for Him. So take advantage of the time you're given. Take hold of the opportunities presented to you. Be bold. Step out in faith. Share the gospel. Be the hands and feet of God. Hear His voice. and Walk in obedience to it. Let's join Pastor David in the book of Exodus, chapter 32, verse 1, with the conclusion of our message entitled, A Merciful Detour.
1: You remember the story in the book of Exodus, Moses standing before the people. He had been up on the mountain. God had called him up to the mountain. God gave him the Ten Commandments, and he had come down. And as he was coming down the mountain, he could hear the people. And as he got down a little bit closer, he realized, you know what? Uh, What's going on here is not right. Because the children of Israel, while they were waiting for Moses, they decided to switch totally and start this whole pagan worship of this golden calf. And you remember the story. Moses goes to Aaron, hey, what's going on here? Aaron said, you know, I don't know. They just kind of gave me all their gold. I threw it in the fire. Out jumps his golden calf. And now they're all worshiping. I don't know what happened. No, Aaron, you're just as guilty. You're the one that fashioned it. And so what did Moses do with the Ten Commandments? He threw them down. He broke them. And at that point in time, God was completely justified to wipe out all of Israel. To suddenly just take them out totally and start fresh and new. says, you know what? I've been dealing with you guys long enough. Took you out of Egypt. You've done nothing but mumble and complain the whole time. Now you're going into pagan worship. We're done. We're going to start all over. But God. But God. Because again, of the greatness of his mercy, the extent of his long-suffering and patience toward us. He calls Moses back up on the mountain. He says, "No, no, Moses, we're not going to wipe him out. Come on back up on the mountain, Moses. And as he brings Moses up on the mountain, God reveals to Moses in even a deeper way at that point in time. And as Moses is hid in the cleft of the rock, literally the word says that God passed by him, and God declared to Moses who he was. And in Exodus 34, it says that the Lord declared that he is the Lord, the Lord God, merciful, gracious, long-suffering, and abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands and forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. That's the kind of God we serve, folks. King Hezekiah, as he was bringing the children, years later as they had established the nation, the nation had once again just really faltered in their worship of the one true God, Jehovah. They were again beginning to, to worship these pagan idols. And King Hezekiah comes and he calls for a great revival among the people. And he calls them to himself and he tells them in Second Chronicles chapter 30, he says, come back to the Lord, for the Lord your God is gracious and merciful and will not turn His face from you if you return to Him. see, many times we might think, you know what, i failed the Lord so many times. The Lord won't receive me back. You know what, that's a lie of the enemy. That's a lie of Satan himself coming before you. Because God says, God declares, if you will return to me, I will in no wise cast you out. Thank you. The psalmist declared the mercy of God over and over. In Psalm 86, verse 15, we read, But you, O Lord, are a God full of compassion and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in mercy and in truth. Psalm 103, verses 8 through 11 of that psalm declare, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in mercy. He will not always strive with us, nor will He keep His anger forever. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor punished us according to our iniquities. Amen? Amen. I don't know about you, but I'm glad that He hasn't dealt with me according to my sins. He hasn't dealt with me according to the multiplicity of my iniquities. He's dealt with me in grace, and mercy, long-suffering. He says, For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is His mercy toward those who fear Him. This mercy that Paul writes here, but God who is rich in mercy, means that He has His pity, He has His compassion, He has a feeling of sympathy toward us. He understands that we are dust. He understands the failings and the frailty of our character. He doesn't dismiss it. He doesn't wink at sin. God has compassion on those that will turn back to Him because of His great love with which He loved us. And again, there we even speak of another of the attributes of God. The fact that God is love. He's not only love, and so many people say, well, God is a God of love, and He wouldn't do this, and He wouldn't do this. Understand, no, love is only one of a multitude of His attributes, and they work together in harmony with each other. Love works in conjunction with all of these other attributes. And Paul isn't satisfied simply to say that it was the love of God. No, he speaks and writes about the great love of God. That word great speaks in reference to the amount and the intensity of His love. It's abundant in every respect. It speaks to us of the extent and the ability of that love. The fact that it excels in all aspects in our lives. That's the great love of God working in our behalf. is describing what many of you know and you've heard of as the agape love of God. It's a great Greek word, and we don't understand it uh, here in our Western English culture. But that agape love is an unlimited, it's a boundless, it is a selfless love. It's a love that just gives and is laid out before us. Not because we deserve it, not even because we love him back. Because as I shared before, even while we were his enemies, his love was there for us, his compassion for us. This is the quantity and the quality of the love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses. Because of that great love, not only has our direction changed, our position has also changed. As we come to faith in Christ, we're transported literally from death into life. He says that he has made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. He puts in this little parenthesis here that he speaks about more in in verses 8 and 9, which we'll look at next week. But he says he's made us alive with Christ and he's raised us up together and made us to sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And here Paul is speaking about these two dynamics that take place in our lives, the very moment of conversion, the very moment of salvation within our lives. There is this, again, the work of the alternate, the work of the the substitute in our lives that brings about our redemption, the work of Christ. Bring about our redemption. But then we also have that change of address, which is our glorification. We have these two things that take place, our redemption and our glorification, at the very moment of salvation. It's a done and it's a complete deal. Through our redemption, we who were dead were made alive, but not as the old man. The old man has been removed, and there is a new alternate in its place. Paul writes in Galatians 2.20, he says, I've been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, and yet it's not me who lives, it's Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul understands, man, it's, it's no longer me, there's an alternate, there's a substitution that's there. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, what? He is a new creation. Old things have been passed away, and behold, all things have become new. We experience that resurrection power, the same resurrection power that was demonstrated first in Christ when God raised him from the dead. And then we who were dead are now made alive together with Christ. Paul also in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 tells about that deadness being made alive. He writes about, so when this corruptible has put on incorruption, when this mortal has put on immortality, then shall we be brought to pass that saying which is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. I don't know about you. I am looking forward to getting rid of the carcass. This stinky thing that we have to haul around all the time. Now, I'm not looking for a fast way out, understand that, okay? I'm waiting for his time. It's like the preacher that was preaching about heaven, and he says, how many of you want to go to heaven? And Raise your hand. And everybody in the whole congregation raised their hand, except one guy that he saw just sitting in the back. And uh, so he says again, how many, how many of you all here this morning want to go to heaven? Raise your hand. And everybody raises their hand, except that one guy back in the back, and he doesn't raise his hand. So after the service, pastor's kind of worried. So he goes back to old brother Mike, and he says, Mike, I noticed you didn't raise your hand when we we were talking about going to heaven. Don't you want to go to heaven? He says, well, yeah, Pastor, I want to go to heaven, but I thought maybe you were getting a bus load up for this afternoon. (laughs) So that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about, yes, we want to go. We want to see this this corruptible put on incorruption. We want to see this mortal put on immortality. But in his timing, we understand that. But beloved heaven ought to be on our mind. We ought ought to have that thought. We ought to have that anticipation in our lives. Our glorification next is demonstrated by what Paul says, literally a change of address. He says we're now seated together in the heavenly places in Christ. We're raised up together together. We experience the resurrection power when we come alive from the dead, but it's the power of the glorification that we're placed together with Christ in the heavenlies. And it's interesting that Paul speaks of both of these things in the past tense. They've already been completed. So what do we make of that? I don't know about you, but this morning I woke up and it was this same old flesh that was here. I looked outside and guess what? I was still in Casa Grande.
0: <laughs>
1: now, it's, it's nice enough, but it showing sure ain't heaven. But Paul says we are seated in the heavenlies with Christ Jesus. We need to understand that in God's eyes, the process is complete. It is a done deal. We're the ones that are bound by the clock. We're the ones that are bound by the rising and the setting of the sun. God isn't. And so in his understanding, in his mindset, it is a completed work. Beloved, you are already seated in the heavenlies with Christ Jesus. Your redemption is complete in him. And when the enemy brings fear and doubt, Beloved, understand, it's not you. It is the work of God in you. It is through the resurrection power of Christ that we are redeemed. It is through the work of glorification that we are already seated in the heavenlies with Christ. On the one hand, we're told to look up because our redemption draweth nigh. But then Paul tells us here, no, because of where we're at, we ought to be able to look down because our redemption is complete. We ought to be able to understand, no, I am complete in Christ. And again, as marvelous as all of this is for us, it truly is for God's glory. All of it's for His glory. We simply become the recipients of His mercy and of His grace. That's why we ought to live our lives in thankfulness and in thanksgiving continually for all that God has done on our behalf. He's redeemed us. He's placed us in the heavenlies with Christ in order that, as verse 7 says, that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. We'll experience the reality of our heavenly position some day. It'll come as the final declaration, as the final proof of that exceeding riches of His grace toward us. We're not there yet. We live by faith. We live by faith and understanding. You know He is yet going to do that thing. In that day, the kindness that was demonstrated toward us through Christ Jesus will be final, and it'll be the most complete and total declaration of God's goodness and of God's mercy that could ever be proclaimed. We, as a despicable, as much a child of disobedience as we were, are going to be ushered into his kingdom forever and ever and ever in his presence. Beloved, what a glorious declaration of the grace and the mercy and the love of God. We'll be with the Lord for all eternity. And it's interesting that saints... All through the ages, they've lived by faith. They've lived with that anticipation that this is not all there is. There is something more. The fact that this world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. That there is more to life than the 80, 90 or plus years that we may have here in this place. There's so much more. The writer of Hebrews chapter 11, you can look there if you want. We won't go verse by verse, but I just want to bring to your mind some of the ones that the writer of Hebrews tells us in chapter 11. He speaks of their faithfulness in waiting. He speaks of Abel who sacrificed in anticipation of what God had in store. He speaks about Enoch who, through his faith, walked right into what God had in store for him. He speaks about Noah who spent a lifetime preparing for it and proclaiming it to his wicked neighbors. He speaks about how Abraham left his home searching and looking for that city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Sarah bore witness to it, and she also bore a witness to it. And we see that over and over within the list of these individuals. These all died in faith. They embraced and they confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. These and so many others, they desired a a better, that is, a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared a city for them. Verses 26 and 27 of Hebrews says that Moses forsook the privilege of this world system, esteeming the reproach of Christ, greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he looked to a reward. The year that King Uzziah died, Isaiah was overwhelmed as he was ushered into the very presence of that glory. Stephen, in the New Testament, as he was being stoned because of the testimony of his life for Christ, he was allowed to gaze into it, and he saw the glory of the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Stephen saw it before he went into it. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 how he was caught up into it. And he heard words inexpressible. And in response to the call of, come up here, John on the Isle of Patmos writing in the book of Revelations, he beheld the city. He beheld the glory. And Revelation chapter 4 all the way to chapter 22 is written from, again, that vantage point, I believe, of heaven as John is writing these things. Beloved, heaven is a real place. And in the ages to come, we'll behold its glory and its splendor. Is your mind on heaven? are you so weighted down by earthly things? Don't believe the lie that says you're too heavenly minded to be of any earthly good. You need to be so heavenly minded that you become of earthly good. You see, you and I need to have the right perspective in our lives. We've already got the change of address. It's already ours. Let's have that perspective. Because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, by faith, through the grace of God, He's allowed us to be transported from death to life, from mortality to immortality from this terra firma to an eternity with Him. Church, don't faint. Don't grow weary. I know for so many the battle is there. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Understand and know that you are seated with Christ and though for a little while you still are struggling on this side of eternity. My beloved, understand, it really and truly is, but a vapor, but for a moment. an eternity awaits us. Let me leave you with these words of encouragement. Paul has written so much here in Ephesians in just those few short verses. Peter also speaks of these things, again with the power of them. If you have your Bibles, turn to First Peter chapter 1. We'll close with this. It's a great declaration that Peter makes here. 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 3, Peter writes these words. He said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to, here it is again, his abundant mercy, according to his abundant mercy, has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that does not fade away, and it's reserved in heaven for you and who are kept by your ability to be able to stay steadfast. Is that what it says? I'm so glad you bring your Bibles. It says that you are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. I won't ask for a show of hands this morning, but I know already because I've talked to so many of our fellowship all through the years. A variety of trials. Some that are so overwhelming, I've got to be honest with you. I hear some of the things that some of you are going through, and I wonder, do I have enough faith to be able to stand after all that you've gone through? And you're still standing. And that's awesome. It is the work and the power of God. He says, though for a while you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it's tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom, having not seen, you love. Though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. You see, it's complete. It is complete in the eyes of God, but you and I still have a journey. We still have a journey to walk. And I don't know about you, but none of us really and truly none of us have any idea how long that journey is. You might think, say, yeah, well, I'm old, I know my journey isn't long. But you know what? Some that are young, their journey isn't long either. That's the unfortunate reality of the frailty of this flesh. None of us know how long the journey is. That's why we're called to live our lives with joy inexpressible, knowing and understanding the greatness of the reward that's awaiting for us. So the next time a distraction, a change, or a detour might come into your life, consider for a while the blessings of God's detours in your life. Something may happen in your life and you think, oh man, this is... De-. Pause for a moment and says, oh yes, but God, but God has worked in my life a wonderful detour. And this thing here, this is just temporary. All that I'm going through right now, this is just temporary. Perhaps that current change order has been ordered up by the Lord in your life to work in your life a more glorious salvation Amen
0: Thanks for joining us for today's edition of The Open Word Pastor David will continue verse by verse through the book of Ephesians next time Now we want to encourage you to become a Facebook friend with us Log on to TheOpenWord.com and follow the link to The Open Word Facebook page To stay current with what's being broadcasted here on The Open Word, subscribe to our Twitter feed at The Open Word Radio. You can subscribe to The Open Word Podcast at TheOpenWord.com or search for The Open Word in the iTunes Store. The Open Word Podcast is always available and completely free. If you're like most people, you probably use a smartphone. Once you subscribe to the Open Word Podcast, you'll always have solid Bible teaching available to you anywhere, anytime. So log on to TheOpenWord.com and subscribe to the Open Word Podcast. And to become our Facebook friend, follow the Open Word Twitter feed, or to access the archive of messages, log on to TheOpenWord.com. Well, that's all the time we have for today. We invite you to join us again for the next study of Pastor David's teaching through the book of Ephesians. That's next time on The Open Word.